Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you to search the Scriptures with us again as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been referring to the great parable of the sower, or the soils, which describes the way in which different people react to the gospel message of the kingdom as Jesus brought it. We found it necessary to point out that some today seem to think that Jesus didn't really bring the gospel. They suppose that Paul was really the originator of the Christian gospel. Now that simply is quite untrue to the New Testament documents. Jesus insisted on being the gospel preacher par excellence. He's the one who announced the gospel of the kingdom of God, He's the one who urges us to repentance and bitter sorrow over our confusion and our wrongdoing and our failure to pay close attention to the words of Jesus as God's representative. We've been pointing out that only one of the four categories discussed by Jesus in the great parable of the sower actually bore fruit to maturity. That's to say, only one of the four groups achieved salvation. In the case of the others, various factors intervened to block their progress towards the kingdom of God. Now we notice in Luke's version, in Luke chapter 8 verse 13, that some actually believed for a while, that's to say they were Christians for a while, because Luke's expression to believe, or indeed Jesus' expression to believe, means to become a Christian. They became Christians for a while, but they were only temporary. It is interesting to note the efforts of some commentators to avoid the obvious truth of that verse. There's a very popular theory around that once you become a Christian, nothing can put an end to that Christian faith. That is absolutely not true on the evidence of many Bible passages, and notably the one in Luke 8 verse 13 that says that they believed, this one category believed for a while, but in time of testing, they apostatized, they fell away from the faith. That word there means to fall away from the faith. It doesn't mean not to be a believer in the first place. It means that you were a believer, but you ceased to be a believer. That's an important truth that may change your whole conception of the way salvation works in the New Testament. But we were looking particularly at Mark's version of the parable of the sower. Having completed his illustration of how the kingdom gospel fares in Mark chapter 4, in the hearts of different kinds of soils or persons, Jesus said that the light of divine truth revealed in the kingdom gospel is the light which must be allowed to shine in the believer's life and in the life of the church. The church, in other words, is to be made up of believers who provide a kingdom of God light to the world, an attractive light, which draws people towards the message of the kingdom and the vibrant hope that the church possesses of one day gaining immortality in the coming kingdom of God on the earth. The gospel of the kingdom, as Jesus and the apostles preached it, gives us just that hope for a better world coming, as well as for immortality for Christians and any who want to attach themselves to Jesus and his gospel. So the light of the kingdom message is to be placed visibly on a lampstand, Jesus said in Mark chapter 4. Christians are to be bearers of the divine light of truth which illuminates the darkness of the present world systems. Paul, you know, called the present world systems the present 
evil age. Galatians 1.4 Not incidentally the church age, but the present evil age. Why is it called the evil age? Well, because as you know from Scripture, the devil is the one who is generally supervising the world systems as they are at present. The devil in the Bible is called the God of this present age. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. That, of course, implies a great deal of power and influence. No wonder, then, that Christians and the Christian gospel of the kingdom are always in a battle against the opposing forces of the devil. In Mark 4, verse 22, Jesus stated that nothing hidden would remain hidden. That's to say, the secrets of God's purpose are designed to be revealed, and they're revealed by Jesus in his preaching and his teaching. They were indeed revealed to Jesus by his Father, and Jesus then passed those secrets on to his apostles. We are supposed to be heirs to those same secrets of the gospel of the kingdom of God. The trouble is that lots of different ideas have intervened between Jesus and the New Testament and ourselves 2,000 years later. Many Bible readers and churchgoers have rather little idea about what has happened in those two millennia. The faith started off pure and authentic, and we find it described in the pages of the New Testament. We have there not only Jesus himself, but his accredited agents who understood the faith because they'd learned it at the hands of Jesus himself, or they were witnesses to those who had learned it from Jesus. But two millennia later, how well has the faith survived? Why is it that some commentators say that after 18 or 1900 years we need to go back to Christ? What has happened to confuse the gospel so terribly that we now have thousands of differing groups all claiming to get their truth from the Bible? Can that really be the truth? Can the Bible be responsible for producing such a tremendous variety of different versions of the Bible? That's to say, interpretations of the Bible. Many Bible readers and churchgoers, and I include myself in this for a part of my life at least, have rather little idea about what has happened in those 2,000 years since the times of Jesus. Are you sure that the faith has been handed down to you faithfully? The Bible makes it clear that each of us is responsible for searching the Bible for ourselves. We're to deal with the Bible at first hand, we're urged to be like the Bereans in Acts 17, verse 11, who investigated the Bible daily. They studied it and analyzed it and poured over it daily to see if what they were hearing preached was in fact true. Are you one of those Bereans? Do you probe and analyze the teaching of the Bible and compare it with what you've been taught? This can be an exciting and refreshing exercise. We ourselves have undertaken just such a process having been goaded into searching out the truth of the Bible for ourselves, I must tell you that this is a life-changing experience. It can be shocking. But the key to this is to pray to God for truth and understanding at all costs. That's what the book of Proverbs advises in chapter 2. It says, Make your ears attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Lift up your voice for understanding. In other words, pray for understanding as the most precious thing you could have for yourself or for your family. And then the book of Proverbs says, If you seek understanding as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then you will understand what it means 
to have reverence for the one God of Israel, and you will discover the knowledge of God. What amazing promises. Obviously, the highest possible premium is placed on acquiring wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. How very different from some circles today where it is taught that only emotion really counts and we shouldn't use our brains and think out the faith for ourselves. That's absolutely contrary to the advice of the Bible. Jesus, you know, was most familiar with these themes about wisdom and understanding. He applied them to his own teachings. He claimed to be the source of ultimate wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. He saw himself as bearing a divine revelation from God his Father. He described his kingdom gospel as the real key to the treasures of understanding. The kingdom gospel was the pearl of great price. The teachings of Jesus remind us of the book of Proverbs. Wisdom and understanding are the priceless treasures which have infinitely more value than anything else we might like to acquire. Unfortunately, in a country in which possessions abound, it's easy to lose sight of this perspective. Jesus was full aware of this, and he warned in his parable of the sower that the desire for possessions can all too easily crowd out and choke the growth of the precious seed of the gospel of the kingdom, which must take root in our hearts and must grow and produce fruit if we're going to gain salvation. See Luke 8 verse 12 and also Matthew 13 verse 19. Jesus in the Bible is the center of a great divine operation. He's the central agent of God himself. He speaks the words of God because God has commissioned him to announce what is called God's gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of God. You'll find that in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where Jesus comes into Galilee to announce God's gospel, that's to say, his Father's good news. And it then turns out to be the good news about the kingdom of God. And Jesus immediately says, as a foundation of the faith itself, that we should repent and begin to believe in the gospel about the kingdom. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Why don't we hear that verse preached and cited often? It seems to lay the foundation of everything that Jesus taught. Jesus went on to say then in the parable of the sower, which is a development of his own gospel ministry, showing the effect of his gospel of the kingdom on various types of people. He went on to say that what is hidden was to be made public, revealed. That's what Jesus spent those three and a half years doing, announcing the way to immortality in the coming kingdom of God. Surely every one of us is interested in our own immortality. Well, Jesus is the great purveyor of the message which leads to immortality. He's the one who has the secrets of how to live forever. How could any of us turn him down? Announcing the way to, the, to immortality in the coming kingdom of God was Jesus' full-time job. He's an expert in the art of gaining life forever, and he's the only source of that information. How much money would you pay to know how to live forever? Well, Jesus offers it to you free of charge, at least financially. It's going to cost you, though, a great deal of effort and perhaps your life itself. Certainly a daily investigation of the words of Jesus. Cling to the words of Jesus. Consider him the great teacher and preacher of the gospel. 
Lay the foundation of your understanding of the faith in the words of Jesus. The best way to do this is to begin at the beginning of our New Testament. Of course, you're going to need to refer often to the Hebrew Bible also because it was the background and the foundation out of which Jesus worked. But begin with Matthew and Mark and Luke as well as doing some good preliminary study in the Hebrew Bible. When you finish searching the first three Gospels, you will have a good foundation in Jesus' Gospel about the Kingdom of God. It's advisable not to begin with the book of John. John is for more advanced study, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in three independent accounts, often overlapping each other, lay the foundation of the heart of what Jesus taught and what he preached as the Gospel. John uses other sorts of language which are more difficult for the beginner and John is more easily misunderstood. He can be manipulated and twisted to fit our own agendas and ideals and ideas. It's good to get our firm basis and our feet firmly on the ground by reading Matthew, Mark and Luke first. Certainly we should not begin with the letters of Paul. Paul's letters are written to churches who already understood the gospel that had been preached to them. But Jesus gives us first-level information. He's the one who shows how converts are to be made by responding to his gospel about the kingdom of God. We will have further discussion of a good method for getting at the truth of the New Testament in our next program. We invite you to join us again as we continue to probe the vital questions about life and immortality as Jesus offers it to us in his good news about the kingdom of God.